Warrior Princess Nation. Welcome back and thank you for listening to the Princess Chronicle podcast. This is Nikisha. I'm so excited for what God has for us today. So grab your Bibles, pens, journals, and let's dive in. Warrior Princesses, today I want to kind of piggyback um, on our lesson from last week or what we discussed last week and kind of carry that into this week. So we talked about last week, accepting your calling. And this week, I just want to kind of talk about divine protection. And I was really thinking about this. You know, this week has been, my son has been sick. My husband's been talking about being sick. Um, And then everybody in this world is going completely mad over the coronavirus and the outbreak. And everybody, you sneeze, you cough, and everybody wants to know, do you have it? Do I need to stay away from you? So as I was, you know, dealing with my son and I know he had a friend who was sick and then couple of days later, my son came down with being sick. So I'm going around going, okay, I need to like literally disinfect, sanitize every doorknob, every door, every counter, every, everything in the house so that, that whatever it is. And I, it was just a cold, but so that it's not being spread around. It just had me thinking about how do I protect myself from literally what I cannot see. And I think we oftentimes, um, you know, we go around and what we can see is easy for us to defend against or it's easier for us to defend against because we can actually physically see it. But there are things in our lives that we face every single day that are fighting against us, but we cannot see it. So it's harder for us to protect ourselves. And that's where God comes in. He is our divine protector. He protects us from what we cannot see. You know, we've been doing a study in our women's group on Ephesians chapter six and and just really talking about that armor of God and how we need to put it on and apply ourselves every day, equip ourselves every day in that full armor of God, because we are fighting against an enemy that we cannot see physically. We can see his workings and what he does and things he brings against us, those fiery arrows or darts, but we cannot physically see him. And so it's harder to fight something that you cannot see. So oftentimes what we'll do is we get distracted on what we can see versus dealing with really what we cannot see. Um, and that's that's a hard thing. And we all struggle with it. Sometimes we all get it wrong. We start fighting against you know our spouses and our children because what's going on around us that we can't see. We can physically see them. And so we point the blame at them. We attack them. We're trying to defeat our enemy, but we're doing it in a wrong manner. And we we actually are, are fighting those who are truly not our enemies. And so this divine protection that God uses is one, he equips us so that we can fight a true enemy. Two, we already have victory through Jesus. I mean, the death on, on the cross, the burial, the resurrection was all so that we could have victory Um, in Jesus name. So we as warrior princesses, we do fight a battle in this world, but we are, we fight from a position that we already have victory. But I want to look at what God also does. His divine protection is yes, against the enemy. Yes, against this worldview and culture that we fight against every single day. But there are things that God needs to protect us from that goes beyond that. And I didn't always see this. And so I'm hoping that I can help you see this as well, that there are times that God has to provide protection even against ourselves. Yep. 
even against us. And you would think that we would not fight against ourselves, but we do. And we do it quite often. We fight against what God says about us with our own believing that the lie that the enemy has told us for years, um, what people said to us. I clearly and vividly remember the individual who told me I would never make management, that I could never be in a leadership role, that I didn't have what it takes to be in a leadership position. And this came from a manager who I looked up to. And so I started believing that I would never be in a leadership role. And so every time I came close to being in a leadership role, I would self-sabotage. I would destroy the opportunity to step into that role, be it in a secular work environment or within the church. Uh, I would sabotage that because underneath all of what I believed, I believed that lie more so than I believe the word of God. And I think I'm not the only one. There are moments in our lives that people have said devastating hard things to us and we begin to believe the lie. And so God has to rise up and provide that divine protection even against our own thought process uh, and how we feel towards ourselves. And so there are times where, you know, it's like, God, why, why do I do these things? Why do I go about, you know, having these thoughts or actions or whatever in which you have to protect me from even myself. And it's it's hard, but until we begin to really deal with that thought process or that lie or whatever it may be for you, um, then God needs to protect us from it. He needs to rise up and show that, you know, yeah, I'll protect you from the enemy, but I will protect you from yourself. There are even times that we know what God wants from us, but we will do the exact opposite of what God wants for us simply because it will provide us what we think we need. Like we know better than God. And so we will take a step in the direction that we know God says, don't do this, but yet we keep begging and we'll keep pleading with God. And then God, you know, and as a loving father, he'll sometimes say, you know what? go ahead. Um, there's one of the things about raising adult children. And I, one of my kids is an adult. I say kid because lovingly she'll always be my daughter, but she's an adult. She's actually 26 and I can't tell her what to do. As a mama of an adult, there are times I always say I'm cheerleading from the sideline and I can give her some advice or some direction, but it's totally up to her whether or not she takes that advice. It's her will. It's her choice. She can choose to listen or she can choose to do her own thing. I am not in control of that. As a parent of an adult, I can I can provide that and then I sit and cheer. So um, I remember severely sitting in therapy going, she is driving me nuts. And the therapist telling me, look, you can't control her. What you can do is be supportive. And one of the things he always says is, is you provide that advice or, you know, help her out. But then you just tell her, you know, let me know if you're going to follow your own will. Let me know how that works for you. And then instead of saying, I told you so, sit back and say, I'm here to support you. How can I help? And that has been just literally a lifesaver for me. Like seriously kept me from going off the deep end. Um, because I would get so frustrated. Like if you just had listened to me, you would not be in this current situation. And so now I would, you know, she asked, I'll give her a say, Hey, you know, you could do this or that, but let me, let me know how it works for you. If you want to do your own thing. 
And I could just imagine God saying, hey, here's my word. I'm telling you what you should do. But if you're going to do your own thing, let me know how it works for you. You know, and I find it just fascinating how we have the word of God. We have the creator, the almighty God, the knower of everything. And yet and still, we choose not to fully listen and obey. We choose to do our own things. And because he has given us free will, he allows us to do our own thing. And then when it doesn't work out for us and we come running back, he doesn't say, I told you so. He's there to support. He's there to help. And yeah, there'll be consequences, but he's going to love you through those consequences. This reminds me of a story in the Old Testament who, um, of Balaam. Now, Balaam didn't have any ordinary relationship with God. As a matter of fact, Balaam is a prophet of God. He's what the Old Testament calls a seer, right? He has this wonderful relationship with God in so much so that God speaks to Balaam and Balaam speaks to God and Balaam speaks to the people of God on behalf of God. So there is this divine relationship that Balaam has with God that is out of the ordinary. Think of it as Moses, how Moses had this relationship with God where Moses would go and he would speak with God and God would directly speak back to Moses. This is Balaam's relationship, okay? He can hear God very clearly. He can have this relationship with God in which God can speak to him and it would he would speak to the people and it would come to pass. That's a very intimate, close, personal relationship that Balaam has with God. But in Numbers chapter 22, we find something very odd about Balaam's relationship, um, or I should say his gift. So he has, he holds the office. He has the gift of prophecy that God has given to him. There is nothing wrong with the gift that he has. And we can see that because he's using it, that Balaam has accepted the calling that God has placed on his life as being a prophet. But we also get to see of what Balaam does with the gift that is very much so um, for his own benefit and not necessarily for the benefit of the kingdom of God. And I think sometimes that as people, we get the gifts of God and we sometimes will use those gifts for our own benefit. And God has to step in and protect us from ourselves, from destroying ourselves and bringing shame on the glory of God because we've taken the gifts of God and decided we will use them for ourselves and our own benefits instead of building the kingdom of God and encouraging the people of God. And so in Numbers chapter 22, we find that there is Balak who has decided to, um, Israel has come out of the Exodus. Moses is leading them through the wilderness and he's coming through um, um, the Moabite people and the Amorite people have their own land and the children of Israel are like journaling on the outskirts of their land and they are deathly afraid of them. I mean, after all, the news of what has happened to the to the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt have spread across the nations and people are afraid of the God of the Israelites. And so as they are approaching, approaching um, Moab and um, Amnon, as they're coming across, they are afraid, okay, 
What is these people? Because first of all, Israelite is the, the Israel um, nation is huge. The people are enormous. As a matter of fact, there's close to about a million people in in you know, of Israelites. And so they are afraid of them. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if the Moabites and the Amorites combine their armies together, they still wouldn't be not be enough to defeat Israel in that time or Israelites at that time. And so they are afraid and they're not sure what to do. They are afraid of the people because of their size and strength, but they are also afraid of their God. And so they pull their brains together and Balak, who is the, um, like the king of the Amorites um, or the king of the Moabites, he decides, you know what? Let's put a curse on them. If we curse them, then we stand a chance of defeating them. And so who do you think he calls to put a curse on the Israelites? You got it. Balaam. He sends his princes with Money, as a matter of fact, it says in um, Numbers chapter 22, verse 7, it says the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. Wait, what? Because if you're thinking like I'm thinking, what happened to Balaam? He sends them directly to Balaam because they know that Balaam is a seer or a prophet of God. But they're taking with them the fee for divination. For those of you who don't know the word, what divination means, it literally means um, witchcraft, sorcery, soothsayer, right? Balaam's gift is a gift from God, but Balaam has decided to use his gift for his own gain and his own profit. And he is um, using his gift to put curses to see what ha what's happening with people and he's he's selling that gift or prostituting that gift for money so they take the fee of divination to Balaam and they say to Balaam Balak needs you to come and curse these Israelites so that we can overcome them so we can overtake them and prosper and Balaam considers it he actually tells them, stay here with me tonight. I'll go see what God wants to do. And, and so he does that. He has him spend a night. He goes to God. He's, he's trying to figure out, God, what do I do? Now, he does go to God to figure out what God wants him to do. But he's in this place where he's using his gift and he's using it for worldly gain. And in verse 12, it says, but God said to Balaam, so he goes, he asks God, God says to Balaam, do not go with him. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. So Balaam gets up next morning. He tells the officials, hey, I can't go. God is telling me I can't curse them. Um, so go ahead and tell Balak, I can't come. I can't put a curse on these people because God says I can't. So they go back and they tell Balak what Balaam says. And instead of Balak taking it at his word, what he does is the next, in his next moment, he sends uh, princes who are actually in higher rank or higher authority with a whole lot more money. And they send over to Balaam and they said, hey, Balak will give you whatever you ask for, whatever you want, whatever you desire. And he will do whatever you want if you will come and curse these people. 
Now, because Balaam is in the position where he is seeking for whatever reason, it could not just be money. It could be that he's seeking a position or authority or influence. You know, he could be deciding, you know what, this will make my Instagram Insta worthy, right? And so he he is he's com- contemplating the decision because he tells those princes or authorities, stay the night with me. Let me go see what God wants to say. Now, God had already given him his answer, which was no. You can't go. You can't curse these people because they are blessed. And instead of just saying, go back to Block and tell him that God has already said no, he considers it. And why do you think he's considering it? Because of what he can gain from it. And I think sometimes because of our gifts and our calling, we sometimes consider what can I gain from it? How can I use this? And I don't think sometimes the enemy trips us up and we don't even think to ourselves that this is not the will of God. Sometimes we we are actually thinking this will help me in the kingdom of God. I mean, you know what? How can I write more books or post more things on Instagram? It'll get me noticed so that I can tell more people about God. And before we know it, we're doing it for our own benefit and not the benefit of the kingdom of God. And there is this fine, slippery slope. As a matter of fact, one of the words that are used in the original language literally means slippery. This is a slippery place to be. It's a fine line between advancing the kingdom of God and advancing the, the desires and the plans of myself or yourself. It is a very fine line. And if we are not careful, we will step across that line and not even realize we have stepped across the line. We can be blinded about what the enemy is doing, the trickery that he is doing in our lives. We can be blinded by that and not even see so much so that if you continue reading, it says that he comes in verse 20 of verse of chapter 22 of Numbers. That night, God came to Balaam. So he goes and asks the second time, God, what do I do? And, and God says to Balaam, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. So the first time God says, nope, don't go. These people are blessed. You can't curse them. Second time God says, all right, since they've come to summons you, go with them. So Balaam, it says in verse 21, he got up in the morning, he settled his donkey and he went to Moabite with, he went with the Moabite officials. He's traveling in that direction. Verse 22, but God was very angry when he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Now that got me scratching my head because in verse 21, God said, go. But in verse 22, it says, when he went, God was angry with him. And I want you to know that is not a contradiction of what God is doing here. God had already told him he could not go. But because Balaam was insistent, God said go, but became angry with him because his motive for going was not pure. Balaam's motive for going was not about doing what God wanted him to do. He went with the motive of this is going to get me Rich, this is going to get me some influence. This is going to get me money. This is going to get me as Balaam what Balaam wanted. And so his heart was not in the right place. And God was angry because his heart was not in the right place. So it says the angel of the Lord stood in the way. He opposed him. He stood in the road. 
And why do you know his heart wasn't in the right place? Because Balaam was a seer. He was a prophet. He had this relationship with God. He could clearly hear God. But when he stepped on this road to go back to Moab, he could not see the angel standing in his way. As a matter of fact, his donkey saw the angels three different times. And each time he tried to prevent Balaam from going. So he veered off into the vineyard. He crushed Balaam against the wall. He laid down before the angel and refused to go. And each time Balaam hit the donkey trying to get him to do what Balaam wanted him to do because Balaam could not see the angel. He couldn't see that God was putting in his place divine protection to keep him from doing something that he that he should not have been doing and ultimately destroying himself. And he couldn't see it. So we find that the angel of the Lord opens Balaam's eyes so that he could see him. And that's where Balaam bowed down and says, you know, I've sinned. I didn't realize you were standing on the road. That's what verse 34 says. Balaam says to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. If you are displeased, that's, that's an interesting statement. But God is telling him, Balaam, open your eyes. This is not what I want. Your heart is not in the right place. As a matter of fact, we find several different things as even in, um, I think it's 2 Peter. In 2 Peter, we see that 2 Peter, Peter uses this analogy that says, you know what? The angel of the Lord used this. He used this situation to get Balaam um, to stop doing something to prevent him from going mad, Right. He uses the situation to help Balaam. But Balaam can't, he can't see it. He still can't see that his heart is not in the right place. You also know his heart in the right, not in the right place because of what's being said in Revelations chapter 2 when God, when the Spirit of the Lord is talking to the church at um, Pergunum, Pergunum, and he says to them, Nevertheless, verse 14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. So they ate food, sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. So what would be the teachings of Balaam? What do you think that would be? Well, if you think about the character of Balaam, it was, yeah, I have this gift from God but I could use this gift for my own gain. And so here you are, you have this angel who's trying to get Balaam to see. Warrior princesses, there are things that the divine protection is in your way, trying to get you to see that though you have this calling, that's not how I want you to use it. And so we have to be mindful of what God is asking us to do and be clear that where God is taking you or where your gift and your calling is taking you, that that's the direction God wants you to go. And we have to be mindful that it's not all about what we do. And yeah, we see people who have a platform, but maybe your gift and your calling is not for a platform. Maybe your gift and calling is for the one who sleeps under the railroad tracks or on the railroad tracks, 
under a bridge. Maybe that's where your gift and calling is for. Maybe your gift and calling is for the one who sleep in your own house. And that doesn't mean your gift and your calling is insignificant because it doesn't have a platform to stand on. Maybe your gift and calling, it, it is. It's just as significant. And we have to be mindful of that. Because in Joshua chapter 13, verse 22, we find out Balaam's end. It says, in addition to those slain in battle. So the Israelites, they go to battle during Joshua days. They're accomplishing or, or taking possession of the land that God has given them. And in addition to those slain in battle, the Israelites had put to the sword Balaam, son of Beor, who practiced divination. What happened to Balaam in his end? Even with all his gifts and his calling, his anointing to be a prophet, he died. He died by the sword. Warrior princesses, don't let your calling kill you too early. Follow after God. Be blessed. Until next time, remember to fight life battles God's way with both crown and sword. See you soon.